So go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 10. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 10 today. If you grabbed a bulletin on your way in, inside that bulletin is a teaching sheet where you can follow along with some of the main points of the message. And so to begin today, we're going to start out with a little competition. And in this competition, I'm going to invite two people up. I decided to use um, the, those that were closest to me. And so uh, I'm going to invite my two youngest kids up to the front. So come on down here, Paul and Grace. So here we go. You got it? There you go. So you all are going to be involved in a little competition. You're going to like this here. Um, I'm going to give you each a water gun, and you're going to be standing in a spot. You can't move your feet, but you can, you can duck if you need to. And your goal is to shoot the other person with the water gun. So whoever gets the most wet loses. You understand? Okay. So uh, I'm going to have Paul. I'm going to have you stand right here. Go on, uh, we're going to take advantage of, taking, of having church in the basement. Okay, go ahead. No carpet to worry about. And go over there. All right, that's good. And we have our water gun. So you're going to have about 45 seconds, not yet. You're going to have about 45 seconds to start shooting each other. And so when I say go. So again, you cannot move your feet. You have to stay still from your feet, but you can, you can duck around if you need to. You got it? Okay, ready, set, go. And we have some squirting going on here. Oh, some little ducking moves. There we go. There is a lot. Oh, okay. Just get back up. Get back up. Keep squirting. Squirt, squirt, squirt. Okay, good ducking. Okay, as they're doing this, we have about 15 seconds left. I forgot to mention that Grace has an advantage. She has her big sister here to... to There we go. Okay, stay there, please. We're going we're gonna to vote as a congregation. I guess we don't even need to vote about who stayed the driest. Who was the driest over here? Is it, uh, is it Paul? No. Uh, so we have Grace over here. All right, Grace, congratulations. You are the winner. All right, thank you. I did, I did choose the plastic picture there. Now, what we just witnessed was a mismatched competition. Over here, Paul was no match for a bucket of water and a sister that snuck up behind him. And so Paul never stood a chance in this competition. And today in our passage, I hope that you're going to learn some ways to avoid being mismatched as well. Now, I'm not going to be giving you tips about water gun wars. Instead, I'm going to be talking about in the spiritual war that every one of us is in, even if we don't realize it. And so this chapter that we're going to be looking at will give us a glimpse of the unseen spiritual world. 
a world that many of us don't even think about as we go through life. And it's a world that none of us can see with our physical eyes, but nonetheless, it's a world that is alive and active, whether we like it or not. And so if we go around life, just acting or pretending like the spiritual battle is not going on, then we are going to be highly mismatched. It's going to end up like my poor son Paul there with a bucket of water on his head, but Satan's not going to be bringing water. And so by the end of this message, I hope that you're going to gain a deeper understanding and a deeper awareness and even a healthy respect for the spiritual battle that is going on around us. And so to begin today, we're going to uh, begin in chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, and we're going to work our way through Daniel chapter 10 here. And so it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar, and the word was true. And it was a great conflict. And he understood the word. And he had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for the three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Let's pause there. Notice the year, he says in verse 1 that it is the third year now of King Cyrus. So this means that for two years, the Israelites have had the opportunity to return to Jerusalem. And so a number of them went back, thousands of them went back to their homeland about 70 years after being brought to Babylon in captivity. But if this is the case, then why is Daniel mourning and fasting certain foods? And so in the book of Ezra, we actually see the story of what's going on. King Cyrus lets the people go, the Israelites go, in year one of his reign. Daniel likely did not go. He stayed in the Babylonian area because most likely he was just too old to travel. He was in his 80s by this point. And so they get back to Israel. This is, it takes months to travel there, and they start building the temple. And there's all sorts of opposition from the surrounding countries and other neighboring areas there. And because of that, the people get very discouraged, and they start building, but they never finish. They stop building the temple. And so this news, after two years, likely reaches Daniel in Babylon, and it, he is like, he, no, no doubt he is upset because of that. That's the reason why he's mourning. It reminds me of the situation of the pilgrims who left England in 1620 and traveled to the New World. And so their journey was not as long, only 10 weeks over the ocean, but still, it was a traumatic one. And then the pilgrims arrived in Cape Cod. And so they're excited at that point of the prospect of a new life that they can have. But after that, things went downhill. And so the winter that they experienced was much worse than they expected. They ran out of food. They didn't have any way to fish or to grow crops. And so there was then an outbreak of pneumonia and tuberculosis. And so by the time the spring came later, 
only half of the 130 people had survived. And so I imagine those people that were alive at that point were heavily discouraged, highly discouraged there. And I think that that gives us a little insight into what the Israelites are feeling as well when they make their way back to Israel. And so Daniel is fasting and mourning for what's going on here. And he goes out to the, to the uh, Tigris River, and then this happens in verse 5. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold of Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I alone, so I was left alone and saw this great vision. I, uh, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance, appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. So as he's out there in the river, this terrifying being appears before Daniel. Now, most likely, this is not God himself or Jesus incarnate, because in a moment, we're going to see that this, this person, likely an angel, needed help to get to where Daniel was. He was delayed by the spiritual forces. And so this is likely an angel that was reflecting the glory of God that, uh, that, that was shining upon him. So is it because we've seen angels appear to people and they're scared sometimes, but not always. Sometimes they just look like normal people. But this one was radiant and powerful and shining the glory of God to Daniel. Now, in World War II, I've been reading through uh, the, some books on the Pacific War, and there was an enormous amount of ships involved in all the different invasions. But in this particular one, and you see in the picture, this is a, the Battle of the Marshall Islands. And if you were on a carrier, an aircraft carrier at that time, you wouldn't see all these ships that were out spread out all around the ocean. There. But one pilot, when he took off from the carrier, he got up there in the air and he took this picture here that you can see. And he was blown away by all the different ships that were involved in this mission to attack the islands. Hundreds of them in all directions. And this showed him the power that was behind the attack of the United States against the Japanese in the Marshall Islands. And as we're going to see, the, as, as we're going to see, the angel is going to give Daniel an insider's look at the spiritual war that's taking place. But even before he does that, Daniel gets an insider look at what I call the glory of God. An inside look of the glory of God here. This glory is so powerful that the men that were with Daniel go and run for their lives. Daniel's the only one left. And Daniel isn't Mr. Brave there. He falls to the ground, possibly fainting. Verse 9. Then I heard the sounds of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep. 
with my face to the ground. He's out. Scared to death. And this is just a small glimpse of the simple reality that God's glory and power are unmatched. That there is nothing greater than God. And that there is nothing more glorious than God. And we need to remember that as we begin to talk about the unseen spiritual battle that's going on. Because it is no mistake here when we think of King David that when he was afraid, he said these words, the Lord is what? The Lord's okay. He helps me a little bit. No, he says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. He's my deliverer, my God, in whom I take refuge. He's my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So God is a rock. He is a shield. He is a stronghold. And some of us just think of God as this boring person up in the sky that likes to take away our fun. And I encourage you that that if you have any thoughts like that, you need to dig deeper and learn more about who God is. Because the only people who would call God boring or a killjoy are those that are enemies of God, those that are ignorant, or those that are crazy. Now going back to our passage, in verse, starting in verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you and when he had spoken this word to word to me I stood up trembling so as terrifying as the glory of God can be there's good news with that that as followers of God we don't have to be afraid of God because we're on his side We don't have to be afraid. The angel tells him, get up. Was that because Daniel had done something awesome? Was that because Daniel was brave? No, he said, get up because you are loved by God. And it's not that God is just this lovable teddy bear, but it's that he is a powerful being that chooses to love us. There's a big difference there. In the the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, the kids in the first story here hear about the lion Aslan. And I want to read to you just a small part here. So there's, there's this beaver here named Mr. Beaver. And he says, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. And Susan says, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver said, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that's God. He is a good God who loves us. So the angel continues talking in verse 12. Let me read that. And then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, 
Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So God heard Daniel's prayers and sent an angel to be with him. I talked about how this happened in chapter 9, where Daniel prayed, God sent an angel right away. But it's interesting here to, talk, to see the timing of things. And so when Daniel starts praying, there's a, there's a delay between the prayer and the appearance of the angel. How long is that? T- three weeks? Yeah, 21 days it takes him to get there. So what's going on? And so the prayers are heard on day one. The angel leaves on day one. But when does he arrive? Day 21. And that's because he says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. And so this prince is likely a fallen angel that has been assigned to the, to the Persian area. And so we have the bad angel blocking the way of the good angel for three weeks for three weeks and it's not until an even mightier angel michael they call the chief prince came to help the good angel here that daniel was able that he's finally able to get to daniel here so it's possible here when we're we're, we're seeing all this happen it's possible that this is simply talking about more apocalyptic language and it's not literally what happened that's a possibility here but the angel is coming and then in chapter 12 we're going to see the apocalyptic vision take place or sorry chapter 11 we're going to see that take place and so it seems that this chapter is not even necessarily the apocalyptic part where it's highly symbolic using figurative and symbolic language here this is simply the angel trying to get the daniel and so more than likely, we are getting a glimpse of the unseen battle that is around us. And if that's true, the implications are amazing. That there is an unseen spiritual battle raging around us that we cannot see with our eyes. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why all that, Paul? He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, against the present, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul, in the New Testament, he's not speaking of future events. He's telling the church that right now we are in an unseen spiritual battle. And this battle is not against the North Koreans or the Russians or the Iranians. This is a battle against spiritual beings led by Satan himself. And after hearing these words, Daniel is overwhelmed again. Verse 15, he says, when he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. Mr. Brave, right? And behold, 
one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can I, how can my servant's Lord talk with my Lord? So he's saying a lot of, I'm not worthy. I can't do this kind of stuff. He says, for now, no strength remains in me. No breath is left in me. And again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. So again, Daniel is overwhelmed at everything he's being told and just everything that's going around him. And so the angel touches him two different times and Daniel is strengthened through that. So I, I picture this sort of like the game Super Mario. Have any of you ever played the game Super Mario here? Or am I the only one? I grew up in the 90s. This is, this is my game right here. And if you've played it before, you know that Mario has certain power levels. And so at his lowest point, he's just the little guy. You can see him sort of in the bottom left there. He's just this tiny little guy. But then when he gets the mushroom, he doubles in size. But after that, there's even more power-ups that he can uh, get. And so there's, for example, the fire flower. And when he gets that, he has the ability to shoot fireballs. But then there's also the star, the power star, and that will give him the ability to move faster and to be invincible for a short period of time. And listen, Daniel was needing a power-up. He was needing a spiritual mushroom. And when the angel touches his lips, he gets that first power up. But then the angel touches him a second time, and Daniel is strengthened a second time. And I was thinking about how this might apply to us as New Testament Christians. And I thought about two types of power ups that I want to talk about that Christians can receive in their life. And the first one is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go into the, all the verses for this for the sake of time, but when you put your faith for the first time in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and he lives inside of you. In fact, it says that you, the Bible says that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So you are sealed. The Holy Spirit is not going anywhere and the power and the Spirit is dwelling in you. And when you receive that Spirit in, inside of you, you are receiving power spiritual power for example when jesus was about to ascend to heaven he tells the disciples and the other people he says you will receive power power when the holy spirit comes upon you and then you will be my witnesses so jesus doesn't even send his disciples out into the world until they have received the Holy Spirit at the beginning of Acts. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, then they're ready to go and be witnesses all around the world. But there's a second one that I want to mention, and that is what I call the further empowering of the Holy Spirit. So once you become a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and if he's inside of you, you, you can't have more of him inside of you. He's inside of you, so you can't have more of him there. But let me read what happens to Peter 
after Pentecost, so after Peter has received the Holy Spirit, a couple chapters later, it says, uh, and he's standing before a large crowd, and he's about to preach about Jesus in front of religious leaders. This is a big moment here. And it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So he was filled, and then he received some other kind of fullness or filling. And multiple times throughout Acts, we see that Christians who had been previously filled being noted as being filled or full of the Spirit. And so this leads me to believe that Christians who are intentionally carrying out the work of God, that are on mission for God, receive an extra empowerment from the Holy Spirit. Now, it's also possible that what I'm talking about is simply the normal empowerment of the Holy Spirit of people who are wholeheartedly following and obeying God, while a lot of the other folks have the Holy Spirit inside of them but are grieving the Spirit in some way because they're not following God. But either way, when you are doing God's work and not doing the work of the world, God's Spirit will even more powerfully work in you. And so that is power up number two. Let's go to our passage starting in, or continue in our passage starting in verse 19. And then the angel said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for, I, for you have strengthened me. And then he said, do you know that why I have come to you? But I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There's none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And we're going to continue talking about this encounter in, uh, next week as we go to chapter 11 where he's going to tell Daniel the vision. So after that, he's saying that after he gives this information to Daniel, he's going to go back and he's going to fight the prince of Persia. And then later on, he's going to fight the prince of Greece when, the, when, the, uh, when those people rise up after that. And that is the end of the chapter. So we're going to stop now and talk about what we can take away from this. I've been giving you some application points as we went through. But what can we learn from this as we're talking about the unseen spiritual battle? Because that really is the main point, that we are in a spiritual battle. But with that information, what can we do? And I want to read what C.S. Lewis writes in his book. This is in Screwtape Letters where uh, this is a, uh, a fictional story of a, of a demon writing to another demon here. It says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. A hail, uh, and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So as the battle rages on, 
we can fall into one of two, out, two errors here. The first one is an unhealthy and excessive interest in the devil. And so this is where we give him too much credit in our life. Where we think about him all the time or where we think he is everywhere. And so anything that happens must be the devil. And when we do this, we are giving him far too much power in our life and far too much attention, more than he deserves. Satan is a deceiver, and he would love for you to grow obsessed with him, because if you do that, what are you not paying attention to? You're losing sight of God. And so don't put all your attention on the devil, because that takes it off of what you should be putting your attention on. And so I think it's interesting, as we looked at this chapter here, what was said and not said about spiritual warfare. And so the angel goes to Daniel, and he mentions that, that the devil's at work. There's the prince of Persia. But really, that's all he says. The angel never tells Daniel to wage war against the prince of Persia. And in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, let's go back to this passage now, and Paul talks about the spiritual forces of this world. I already read it. But let me point out again, what Paul says that we should do when dealing with spiritual forces. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then he says to put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. There's nothing about the devil here other than mentioning that he's there. What is Paul focusing on instead? He's saying it's as if when the spiritual battle is going on, Paul's saying, hey, your number one goal as the battle rages on is to stick close to God. And it's not to say that, that we completely ignore the devil, but we need to keep our priorities straight. Keeping God first in our life is the greatest offense and defense against the schemes of the devil. And so if you want to fight the devil, then I encourage you to get in your Bible, to get into prayer, to spend time in worship. Hey, get into church, worshiping him every Sunday. Get that sin out of your life that's preventing you from worshiping God or from preventing you from wanting to read the Bible. And so these are the primary ways that we are called to fight against the devil. But error two here. Error two is not believing in the devil's existence. Thinking, oh, that, that devil stuff, it's just fairy tale. It's made up. And so he's not feared because no one thinks he's real or he's completely ignored. And this is more of the dominant strategy or error that happens today. So if you operate like this, the problem is, is that you're going to go around acting as if there's no devil at all, and you're eventually going to end up with a nasty surprise. Remember the beginning here. If you don't know what's going on, you're going to end up with a nasty surprise. Back in October of 2002, there were these two people 
who were going around the Washington, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area on a shooting spree, uh, using a sniper to, to kill people. And they were called the Beltway Snipers or the D.C. Snipers uh, because they shot people from afar. And I lived in that area during that time, and I was just minutes from one of the, one of the shootings, lived just minutes from one of the shootings. And during the, the three weeks where, where it primarily took place, uh, everything was about being careful and aware. And so when I was at work, all the shades were down. Every, every window had to have the shades down. It was required. At schools, all the kids were indoor for recess. People would get out of their car and go into their house very quick. There was no dilly-dallying around there. When they went to get gas, they would stay very vigilant looking around. And so why all the fuss? And that's because we knew that there was an active shooter out there somewhere targeting someone. Now, when it comes to the devil, we need to remember that he is out there and he will devour us. But it's also possible, particularly during the the, the Beltway sniper days and with the devil, that it's possible to fall into fear about what's taking place. And even the angel we saw had difficulty dealing with the devil, with the, the spiritual forces. And so that may make us a little nervous because if an angel's having trouble for 21 days, what's going to happen to us? But as we've seen, even though we're in an unseen spiritual battle, battle we need to remember that we, if we have put our faith in Christ, if we follow God, that we are on the stronger side. In 2 Kings 6, there's a, the Syrians who are chasing after Elisha. And so they find out at night where Elisha is, and they go and surround the city that he's in. And so in the morning, Elisha's servant wakes up. He likely gets his coffee. And then after that, he goes outside for a little bathroom break. And he looks up. And he probably makes a mess all over himself when he sees Syrians everywhere surrounding the city. And rightly so, he's frightened, as I would be. And so the servant panics, and he goes to Elisha, and he tells him the news. But then Elisha tells him in this awesome passage here, says, do not be afraid, for those are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was not full of just Syrians. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That right there gives us a look at what's going on at the same time that the devil's trying to do his work. There is a battle around us. But listen, it's not even a fair match. Now we can, we can get into an unfair match and we can fall into the bait of being lured away by the devil. But if we stick close to God, church, it is not a fair match. Because God wins 
every time. Two weeks ago, I was in charge of youth group games at youth group. And so I decided that we'd do a good old-fashioned tug-of-war. And so I picked just randomly two teams. But it turned out that this randomness was not very equal. On one side, there were a bunch of fifth graders and, and smaller kids. And then on the other side, there were most of the ninth, 10th, and 11th grade boys. And so when I said go, the game was over within 10 seconds. Over. And then someone came up with the brilliant idea of let's, doing ki- let's do kids versus adults. And so there were five youth leaders there. There's me, you know. I thought, I thought I could take them there. And then we had Steve. So, of course, you know, Steve's all muscles. And then we had Eric and we had Mike here and Liana. And so it was the five of us against 25 or 30 kids on the other side. Well, guess how that went? Us old, weak adults were no match for the kids. In fact, after the match, Eric went away and said, Ah, my my hand. I think I hurt my hand. Because they just yanked us over there. Church, when it comes to the unseen spiritual battle, we need to remember that God's side has the advantage. And Satan may tug a little bit. He may try to tempt us and distract us, but he is on the weaker team. And all we have to do is to make sure that we stay on the right side, that we stay close to God. So when we are on God's side, we don't need to fear. In God, we are safe. We have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We can be attacked, but we can't be overcome. We can be tempted, but we can't be conquered. But, again, we must stick close to our Savior. And when we do that, there's no fear in facing the enemy. We don't have to fear. I want to close with this story. This is about a Pentecostal evangelist. So take the story for what it's worth. But this is a guy named Smith Wigglesworth. He lived in the late 1800s. And yes, and he probably got uh, teased because of his name. Probably so. But he lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he was involved. uh, He was an evangelist. He was involved at one point in a evangelistic service for um, he was preaching and praying with people for 36 hours straight. I told you he was Pentecostal. So, uh, so after that time, he was rightly so very tired. And so he went back to his house uh, or to, to wherever he was sleeping that night to catch a few hours of sleep. And he tells a story of how after about 30 minutes of falling asleep, he felt this sensation of someone shaking his leg on the bed. And Wigglesworth opened his eyes And he saw that it was an evil spirit manifested on the edge of his bed, sitting there, looking at him. And Wigglesworth rubbed his eyes, and then he said, oh, it's only you. And then he rolled over, and he went back to sleep. There is a spiritual battle out there. But if 
we are on God's side, and I pray every one of us is. If we are sticking close to him, and I want to challenge each of you to do that, and listen, we can sleep soundly at night. And we don't have to fear him during the day because our side is the winning side. Our side is the more powerful side. And so I want to, as a reminder to here, to everyone here, that if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then listen, you are on the wrong team right now. And all it takes is for you to give your life to Jesus Christ, to pray a prayer, something like, Lord, be the Lord of my life. Take away my sins by the blood of Jesus. And may I, you be my Lord. And when you do that, you are part of his family. Now, many of you have already done that before, and there's likely many here today that have come into church not feeling very close to God, not feeling like you've done very much stuff or that you've, that you've done a lot that was opposed to God. And if that's you, I want to encourage you the same way that there is mercy and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. That through the blood of Jesus, you have already been forgiven. And so let's hold on to his forgiveness. And in that, return to having a right relationship with him in, in the sense of your intimacy with him. And spend time with him. And spend time in the word. And spend time worshiping him this week. So let's go ahead and spend a moment now in prayer. And again, anything I talked about just from that last moment there, whether you're on the never put your faith in him or maybe you've just wandered off, let's spend a moment giving him, giving him your concerns, giving him your sins, giving him your life.